Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Slopeside with Stephen Nyman in Boulder, Colorado. I'm George Thomas. And Stephen, you are at a speed camp right now, correct? Yeah, currently I'm in Copper, Colorado, and the U.S. ski team has built a speed center up here. It's kind of the, the premier downhill track in the world right now. This early in the ski season, we've basically, over the past four or five years, created a deal with Copper to have a full-length downhill course that all the people in the world come to to train and prep for the World Cup ski season. So with that many people there training, how do they keep the, the course in shape? Um, so basically how it works is each night, all the teams who want to be here, there's anyone, anybody from the Japanese to little club teams in the U.S., Canadian club teams to the national teams from all the countries all over the world. And everybody's actually starting to show up today. And uh, they go to this meeting and say, we want this and we want this and we want this. And uh, the guy who manages all the ski lanes says, okay, you can go at one o'clock to three o'clock. You can go three to four thirty. You can go to 10 to one. And tomorrow our group and Several other teams, I think the Norwegians, Canadians, uh, U.S. women are going from 6.30 till 9 or 8.30 on Main Vane, and Copper is opening, so we have to get on the hill before the public even get on the hill to train on the main hill because our full downhill course is not ready, so we're using the public hill to train downhill <laughs> wow. when it's nice and dark out. <laughs> So how do you do that? I mean, are there lights at Copper? I, I am from the Northwest, so there's a lot of night skiing up there, and I'm used to uh, Mount Hood being laned off. <laughs> no, there's no lights at Copper. Um, it's just you get up there, it's dark, you'll slide down, you'll inspect the course, you'll see where you need to go, memorize that, and then uh, go for it. Luckily, the hill is pretty tame, so there's not a lot of risk there, but, um, on the other hand, I tore my Achilles on the hill. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know. I had memories on that hill as well, but, um, it's, you, you take your time. You're up early. You want to ski, you want to warm up, but it's, this is our only chance to actually get the skiing we need. So you got to take advantage of it. How many people are in your group? There'll probably be around 
20, I'm guessing. All right. Well, it's interesting that you're out there in the dark and talking about this because really the topic for our show today is visualization. And I can only imagine that you have to get that course memorized if you're going down in poor light. <laughs> you have to, when you're inspecting that early in the morning, you have to look at not just where the gates are. You have to see the train. You have to know the blind turns. You have to know the little pieces of the train. You have to judge how fast you're going to go. Um, there's all kinds of things that are going through your head when you're inspecting these courses. So, you know, when you go down, you'll be in a relatively safe and, uh, online, I guess. So it's, yeah, I guess it's kind of crazy. <laughs> I mean, I really am an individualization. It's, it's a huge part of my training, especially when I'm on the indoor trainer. I, I just see myself on part of the course that I know is I'm going to be racing later in the season. And I can feel the texture of the asphalt under my tires. I hear my crew talking to me. I can feel the temperature. I mean, I, seriously, when I open my eyes and training down in my basement, I'm surprised to be in my basement. I mean, I am there. But you're taking this to a whole new level. I mean, the speed you're going. And one of my first questions is when you have that course in your mind, what happens when there's changing snow conditions? Which I'm sure that's, you're running into at Copper. Yeah, that's one of the biggest things that you have to remember. Um, what, what we're doing is we're starting at the top of a mountain. We're ending near the bottom of a mountain. So the snow is going to change usually from the top to the bottom. Uh, the snow has been prepped in different manners in those areas as well. Sometimes the snow at the bottom hasn't froze, so they throw chemicals down so it'll harden up and it won't deteriorate and break through for the racers. It's all about safety. Um, that's one of the biggest things I look at is how is the snow going to be and and how hard can I really push on the ski and trust it? Because if I know the snow is there and and... I'm confident in my ability to just hammer as hard as possible. That's usually when I do the best. And one of the best places that preps the courses the best, I should say, is Beaver Creek, Colorado. They they create an immaculate carpet from top to bottom. That's such a joy to ski this hill because the way I think it's just the high altitude and the dryness and the way that they make the snow and open it up and put water in it and then churn it and, and then really lay it down. It's, it's, it's really cool because it's just consistent top to bottom guys can attack from number one till the last guy that comes down and, uh, the race isn't over until everybody's down the hill. So when you're inspecting the course, can you, can you kind of slide us through that? You're starting at the top, and exactly what are you looking for? How do you get that line in your mind as you're uh, slipping the course? Um, so being a downhiller, everybody talks about you get better with age. Um, I've, I don't know, from from day one, I was actually never that great at downhill when I was in the junior ranks and and. I 
I don't know. I just didn't attract to it. I was more of a slalom skier. But then I broke my legs and went through all these injuries. And then I got into downhill on the Europa Cup tour, and it, they were more demanding. And then and the Noram tour, and then I got the title, and then I got to race the World Cup. And they said, oh, you'll get to do a couple races. And my first few races, I scored points in all of them. And I just... I felt comfortable. The hills were prepped well. The snow was solid. In in Noramps and Europa Cups, it could be bally, icy chunks to soft snow. And on the World Cup, it requires a high level of preparation. So these places get hundreds of people to volunteer their time and energy to basically prep these hills. And I uh, I got on the World Cup tour and was just like, I could I could see where I needed to go. I could feel the snow and be confident going over these blind turns that I could land and really press into the ski and, and know I would get the feedback that I need. So it came natural to me, but, um, I was also, uh, I was young and dumb and, and I had to really risk a lot and see what I could get away with. And I had a lot of crashes. Um, over time now I've, I've learned what it takes, what the preparation phase is like, how I need to maintain my energy and how I need to maintain my focus. And, and focus is such a big thing when it comes to getting on that course. And I like taking from minute one, when they open the course for all the racers to go in and start inspecting, I like taking from that first minute all the way till the end. I'm one of the last guys to go through the finish area to look at the course and, and see where I need to go and convince myself what's possible for me. And, uh, so basically we're all at the top. There's a bunch of guys, the whole field, roughly 60, 70 guys waiting. And there's a 10, 15 minute window that we can get onto the course. Then it, it closes and basically course inspection lasts an hour, hour and a half. And, uh, we get a slide down through every gate over every jump, hike back up, look at the jumps and, uh, we have coaches on each role that are pointing the direction or giving the their feedback as to what they think the premier line is. Uh, sometimes I agree with them. Sometimes I don't agree with them. And, and I like to communicate that with them because when I'm at the start and I'm about to go, they give me the course report and say, yes, that's possible. Or no, that's not possible. I don't think you should do that. Um, so I have various lines that I'm looking at in my head when I'm going down the hill. It's not just, this is my line. But the beauty of downhill is we get several training runs. We'll get one to two before we actually race. So it's almost a puzzle that you get to figure out. And uh, in those first training runs, if you're really confident with your line, you go for it and you see what you're capable of. If you're not that confident, you kind of take a more passive reserve line and and see what other people did and and get to learn from their abilities and and convince yourself that it's possible for you you know and that's something you said last week which made a big impression on me the other thing you said that made a huge impression on me we'll get to in a minute but it was that when you're going through on your training runs you don't always take the line that you think is going to be fastest because you don't want other people to see that line Sometimes, sometimes there's some areas where I've done that, but it's a rare occasion. Um, and sometimes I know there's other guys that do the same thing. So many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. 
My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Uh, you have to, I like, I like analyzing a lot. I'm a guy that'll sit in front of the computer. The coaches, they film everybody from usually the top 30 guys and uh, the rest of the guys on your team behind the top 30 and guys that have shown some promise in the training runs. Um, and so I'll go down there and I'll dissect each section. Uh, when, when you're looking at these races on TV and you see the split times, those are all divided in a sheet. And some of those split times don't even show up on TV. They're, they're just there on an, an analysis sheet that everybody gets across the world cup. And I'll look at that and I'll look at the video and who was filming that section. And what did this guy do to gain three tenths there? And, what did I do to gain here and what did I do to lose here, you know, and I, and I compare and contrast and basically try and build the perfect run in my head for race day. And then how do you see yourself like out of body? Are you watching yourself go down the course or are you seeing it from, from your point of view as you're skiing? Mostly it's my point of view, but sometimes I have a, I have, um, an out of body experience, I guess you could say. I look at from different angles. Exactly. I look at me coming over from an aerial view from the top, um, just drawing lines in the snow. That's kind of a way I like to visualize is is my line and, and the pressure of my ski that's being built into the snow at what point throughout the turn. Um, that's kind of yeah. I guess that's that's the way I see it, but mostly it's from my point of view. It's what will I see when I'm approaching this? What will I see when I'm back here, when I'm about to go off the jump, when I'm in midair, where I have to land, um, what's going through my head, when do I have to get in the tuck, when do I get out of the tuck, uh, how close to this gate, far away, look at that hole, how do I go around that hole, maybe do I go through that hole, um, one of the courses that I do the best in is Val Gardena. And on a good year, they have, I think we've counted 29 jumps. So we're off the snow roughly 29 times. And the majority of those are blind jumps. You have to really trust your line and where you're going and uh, how fast you want to send it off of those areas. And uh, I guess that's why... I may do well there as I just convinced myself that it's going to be okay, but I've also crashed there a lot. So, <laughs> um, with, with me being overconfident and just knowing, yeah, I'll just go off the jump this way. And all of a sudden you're midair flailing and you land on your back and you're like, Oh, 
that was a bad idea, I guess. <laughs> so, you know, you have said, and I've heard other people say, as soon as I start, I'm not thinking anymore. I'm just going. You're putting so much thought into the run before it ever happens. Um, 29 jumps, that's insane. <laughs> but uh, how do you go through that without thinking when you've done so much thinking beforehand? I mean, it sounds like you need to have your mind completely focused on, on all of this information. I really don't like it when people say that. They they just say, oh, don't think about it, just go. And yes, there's creating habits. Like, I'm not thinking about my technical skiing for the most part. Uh, I'm thinking about where do I need to go? Where do I need to place the turn? Where, like, I'm thinking about details of basically my direction. That's it. And everything else is habitual. And that's through visualization. That's through me going through inspection. And then once inspection's done, we have roughly two or three hours before the race actually starts. So we have a lot of free skiing and lodge time. And during free skiing, I see certain terrain that's similar to the course and I'll mimic movements over those. Um, but a lot of it comes from mostly just sitting in the lodge and closing my eyes and going through the motions and, and seeing myself going down that run 10, 20, 30 times. And if there's a section where I, I just have a, a glitch, I go over that and I, and I, a glitch of then seeing myself crash. I, I do that a lot. I see myself crash or see my ski split or see me slide out or, or just do something dumb, you know? And I think it's funny that I see that, but I go over it over and over and over again until I see myself not doing that. Because once you're in that starting gate, you just say, this is it. Like, like if you shy off, you're in much more danger than if you are, confident and and driving towards where you need to go the moment you're back and on your heels that mountain has control of you so you need to you need to have control of the skis i actually saw this 70s film um it might have been in the 60s actually late 60s and it was like a dick barrymore film i think um and it was so beautiful and one of the one of the sayings in it was there was this magical pair of skis that were built. And uh, when the guy got on these skis, he would just ski amazing. But then when he got on other skis, he was a, he was a horrible skier. And the saying was, the skis were not, or the, when, when the guy was skiing bad, he said, the skis were not, or the people were not skiing, the skis were peopling. <laughs> I thought that was funny because the skis had control of the people. But... Um, I actually saw that movie with Glenn Blake. He showed that to me in Chamonix last year. And I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> now, he was just like reciting every line that came through. It was great. <laughs> you touched on something that uh, we all, we talked about in our first interview. And that was when I just thought we need to do a show totally on visualization. And that was when we were talking about coming back from injury. And you said you could go through a course in your mind and you would see that crash happening, but you would go over and over and over until you took the line perfectly. I just, that to me is so impressive. It's all about conviction and confidence. And 
it's it's about that in anything in life actually if 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 you're really confident there there are people out there that I know in even in the ski world that are so far off base from what I believe in yet they believe in it wholeheartedly and they're good and that's what's, that's what's so beautiful about ski racing is so many people have such different techniques yet we're all going down the same track we're all dealing with the same gravity and we're all getting to the finish roughly around the same time. And it's, it's, we can, it's all what you believe in and know what you can handle. And, and it's whoever can basically resist gravity the least. And does that conviction just come with time? Doesn't sound like you had, had that, that strongly earlier in your career. Uh, it comes with practice and time. Yeah. Uh, when I was younger, I was a slalom skier and you put me in a slalom course now and I, I feel like I'm in Japan. I don't understand <laughs> anything, <laughs> but, uh, now downhill is my language and that's what, where, where I can go and see what I need to do pretty instantaneously through all the miles that I've put on the snow. Um, it's, it's definitely via practice, but there are, there are guys out there that are naturals and it's not a structure practice either. Um, a lot of the guys on the U S ski team have come from big mountains in the West that, that are basically known for their free skiing. And we're very good at free skiing and we've gone out and challenged ourselves in the cliffs and in the powder and on the steeps. And we've put ourselves in a lot of variable situations and so I think that transfers well to downhill, whereas um, a lot of the Europeans, I don't want to say they don't do that, but they have a much more structured uh, development system where these kids have been racing and training and racing for the most part. That's it for all their careers. And so that's what they know. But you put them in certain scenarios and they just don't know how to let go. They know, they know how to turn. And they know how to have the proper position. But when it comes to speed, sometimes it's just a matter of letting your skis go down the hill and, and not worrying about what's right or what's wrong. Do you have fun on a downhill run? <laughs> That's what I always say. Like when I was a slalom skier, slalom's fun. Like when you're on it and you ski slalom, well, you get to the bottom and you, the, the feeling is just amazing. But when you're a downhiller and you ski downhill poorly, you still get to the bottom and have a lot of fun. And then slalom, when you ski it and when you ski it poorly, you're just like, it's the slowest, just worst feeling in the world. Just like grinding every turn and slalom. But in downhill, you get down and you're like, well, yeah, I might have blown that turn, but whatever. That whole run was a lot of fun. Well, Stephen, I really appreciate your time today. I know you've got speed camp and a lot of work coming up. Uh, but thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. No worries, George. Thanks for having me. Stephen Nyman, Slopeside. And in Boulder, Colorado, I'm George Thomas. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.